Hey, it's um, so wonderful to be with you guys today. Um, I was just thinking the amount of times I have been with local churches and school halls over the years and how exciting those days are of all of the, the possibilities. And um, I'm really excited to be honest with you guys today. I'm just like, wow, God is doing a new work right here in this place. And one of the things I like, I'm I'm big about the local church. Like I've spent the last 20 years full time on staff teams with local churches. And I love what God does in and through local churches. I love the fact that there are some local churches that are struggling to find school halls in East Auckland because there are so many local churches just like you guys that are in a school hall doing amazing things. And you may not think, well, how amazing is it really? But I'm always amazed that you're always impacting the atmosphere within a place, within a community, within a school. As we declare out God's praises and God's truth and his word, we actually have an impact on the atmosphere in the place. And so there's an impact going forth out over the school and over this community. And I love that. I love the fact that you guys are establishing something new, not just in any suburb, but actually in my suburb. I live in Glendowie, and um, I've been here for 10 years. Um, and some of you will know my wife, Philippa, and we've got our four boys. And we're, it feels like we've got one at every age and stage right now. We've got little Oscar, who's kindergarten, just over here at Small Miracles. We've got... Um, my next guy up is Zachy, he's turning 10, and Toby, who's turning 12, well, Toby's 12, actually heading toward 13, actually, and they're at Glendowie School, and then Mike and my oldest is at Glendowie College, so I've got one at every stage, right, primary, intermediate, kindy, high school, so it's all go for us, it's exciting, it's all on, but I love the fact that in our area, we've got churches doing cool stuff, right? There's lots of churches doing different things, different focuses. Now, some of those churches sit perhaps on a slightly more conservative side, mainline side of things. We've got other churches that are perhaps a little bit more liberal in their views, but they're really passionate to do stuff in the community. And then there's these amazing churches like you guys that will actually push out and push above your weight and make an impact in this local community that will be a people that will declare out God's praises that will influence over an area. And I love that. I know that's just one little facet that local church does, but I think it's a really important one. And so I just really want to commend you guys with your worship today. That was great. And I just really feel like there's a there's like a real gift of declaration upon your church to actually declare out God's word and praises in this school, in this place, at this time. And we're often a little amazed at the journey God takes us on in life. And for me, I've been really caught by that over the years, at how God can kind of sidetrack your journey. You think, wow, what are we doing here? I wasn't expecting that. But in the middle of that, God is at work wonderfully, amazingly, miraculously. And so I really want to encourage you guys today that God is at work and amongst us all the time. Even though we may not feel it or see it, he's always at work. He's always doing stuff. And here we are on the brink of Easter, hopefully an Easter this year without a lockdown. Who remembers lockdown Easter last year? That was crazy. I spent part of this week writing um, services for our church, the Upper Room, for Good Friday and Easter Sunday. I'm sure Jason will be working hard on that and on our own jury duty. Um, Last year, I was, um, yeah, you could have some interesting revelations that might go into those services. Maybe justice features in a whole new way. Um, 
I remember last year, even we had to shift, probably like you guys, everything went online. So I remember writing liturgies for us to do as an online community, and that was a bit of a challenge. I hadn't done a lot of liturgy work before. I was more used to perhaps a stronger Pentecostal um, background. So to suddenly be writing liturgies and putting them out for people to be reading through and working through but it was fun and it stretched me in a new way and that's just that with God he likes to stretch us in a new way at times have you noticed that he likes to get us out of our comfort zone and it's like oh my gosh God we're in the deep end again Um, but I love local church and all the problems and quirks and fun and games that come with that and I love that you guys are starting a new faith community and um you know, I think there's a shift happening. And one of the things that I think God's doing is we've kind of seen a shift over many years where mainline churches have drifted into perhaps bigger Pentecostal or um, mega churches, and we've seen people shift that way. But, you know, there's actually a shift going back right now to local. We've seen that with the lockdowns, there's been a reprioritizing of local, local businesses, local people. Auckland's traffic, what can we say about that? It's not getting any better, right? And as they pack in the houses on every little section around our neighborhood, it's not going to get much better. So there's something going on about local, 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 local. And it's funny, even some of the churches that are big, like the Upper Room Church, I don't know, we have about 800, 900 in our database of people. We're running three very active services on a Sunday. Each service is totally different to each one. We're not duplicating a lot. It's a lot of work for the team that make all that happen each Sunday. But we're actually, we have different trends going on. We have people, when we're a commuter church, we're not a community church, we're a commuter church. People come from all over Auckland through motorway systems to get to us in Newmarket. Our quietest Sundays of the year, you're going to think this is ridiculous. I think this is ridiculous. Our quietest Sundays are Easter and Christmas. You're like, what? Aren't you guys a Christian church? Like, what is wrong with you guys? Like, but we have people that go away on holiday a lot. We run big, we're part of big Easter camps, so all the parents offload their kids, and then the parents go, wow, we don't have to go to church, and our kids aren't here. Let's have a holiday too. So we have all these funny little trends and things that go on with us. So you could say our community has different stuff going on it. Do you know, on Christmas Eve, my wife and I, we were attending local community churches in this area and just slightly further afield because we weren't running services back where we were because... We're a community church. We're not a community church. Community churches, are, they do different stuff differently, and it's cool. It's close to home. And I think with you guys launching something new, there's a huge opportunity to do something amazing local. Local, local, local. It's where it's at, people. Things are shifting. And I think we're even going to see people drifting out of mega churches that are feeling very, like, lost in the crowd. Some people have quite been very happy to be lost in the crowd. You know, they, they don't want to necessarily be on all the rosters. They just want to be part of the big scene, but they don't want to commit a whole lot or whatever. But, you know, they're getting hungry. They're getting desperate. They're feeling lonely. They're feeling lost in the crowd. And I actually think God is doing something about local, and we're going to see a shift back to that. So I wouldn't be surprised if you guys are kind of on the brink of something amazing right here. And I'm really excited about that. You know, there are so many people all over Auckland that are in and out of church. And we know the biggest church of Auckland, perhaps those that even aren't attending on a Sunday. And in this area, there are so many families, there are so many people. And I just think the potential is huge and amazing. And let's just see what God does over this time ahead. Well, if you're taking notes, this might sound a bit strange, but um, if I was going to call this message anything, I'd call it, watch out for donkeys and donkey riders, okay? Watch out for donkeys and donkey riders. 
And we know today is Palm Sunday, and we have scriptures about Palm Sunday in all four of the Gospels. And so with that in mind, usually when something appears in all four Gospels, like, you know, the crucifixion, God's usually highlighting a key thing. And so we're just going to have a look at one of the passages this morning, and this is the one on Mark. We may even have it on our screen at some point, may pop up. But let's have a little read through this. This is all about Jesus entering Jerusalem. So Mark chapter 11, verse 1 to 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphanage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. Now that's like a little place three kilometers out from Jerusalem, so they're getting close. Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you'll find a colt there which has not ever been ridden like a donkey. Untie it, bring it here. If anyone asks of you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and he'll send it back shortly. Jesus was not a thief. He was sending it back shortly. They went and they found a colt outside in a street tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as, as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. So Jesus already knew about that. He'd seen it. When they brought the colt to Jesus, they threw their cloaks over it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks over the road, and while others... While others spread branches that cut in the fields, palm branches. Those that went ahead and those followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple courts. He looked at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now, I love that Palm Sunday reading. There's a lot in that. And I just want to unpack kind of like four observations that have really kind of struck a chord with me. And the first one is that Jesus is riding on a donkey he's or a colt. He's riding on a donkey. And um, a donkey is actually a sign of peace and humility. So you've got Jesus into Jerusalem for the last time before he died as the king. And he was about to usher in the kingdom of God, but he did it as a humble servant riding a humble animal. Now, you could almost say that's um, a bit of a contrast, really, because we know that there's a time coming when Jesus will come back and he's not riding a donkey, right? He's riding a horse. And we get glimpses of that with the second coming. But, you know, everything about Jesus' first coming was marked by humility. He was born where? In a manger. Some of the things he said, not my will, but yours be done. Big argument over the disciples over who's going to be the greatest. What does he do? He gets down and begins washing feet. You know, he really is our servant king. Now, donkeys are renowned as these being these difficult, stubborn animals. They're not easily scared like horses are. They're stubborn animals. So you could almost say that I would think that donkeys have this ability of humbling their riders because they're just difficult animals. But yet Jesus was able to ride a donkey that had never been ridden before right in for the first time. So we've got this wonderful picture of Jesus emerging in humility on a donkey. The second observation is that the cloaks go down. Firstly, the disciples lay their cloaks over the donkey, and then other people look around, and they too are laying their cloaks on the side of the road as well. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but a cloak is actually a protective covering. 
So we have this sort of, it's also a symbol of authority as well, protection and authority. And so we've got this image of people laying down their protection and actually showing humility as well. They're laying down their authority as Jesus comes upon the road. They want to honor him as king. So they too are humbling themselves. So we've got Jesus coming humbly and then his followers humbling themselves as he comes along the road. Then the next observation I want to make is about the palm branches. You know, today is Palm Sunday and the people cut down those palms. Does anyone know what the palms represent? Any thoughts out there? It's a bit of a challenging one. It represents victory. The victory that Jesus has. Palm branches in ancient times depict goodness and victory. So people are actually declaring that Jesus is good, he's the good king, but more importantly, he is coming in victory. But not a military victory, It's actually, which actually some of the crowd thought, but a victory over sin and death. And we know that with his journey to the cross, a victory centered in salvation. And the people, by even waving the palm branches, you know, it's a sign of faith. They believe that Jesus is about to do the business to lead to victory. And it's kind of funny, too. um, Even when Jesus returns, we get a glimpse of this in the book of Revelation. um, And we'll have a look at this scripture a little later on. But there's another image of people waving palm branches as well of his victory. The other thing that really stood out for me in this is what is actually declared. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna means to save us, to rescue us. My paraphrase might be, saved, blessed are you who comes in God's name. Blessed, bless the coming kingdom of heaven. Saviour of the highest heaven. That's kind of my little paraphrase of that. But, you know, in our time and in our world, let's just keep declaring that Jesus is the Saviour. And, you know, as we sing and as we praise, you know, I love that, that we're singing that out, that he is the King of kings, that he is the Lord of lords. And you could almost say this contrast is a declaration quite nicely with a passage in Revelation. We've got a little scripture that will pop up on this one too. And this also ties in with the palm branches as well. Revelation chapter 7. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. Now these saints are looking back. They too are declaring that salvation belongs to God, just as Hosanna means rescue us or save us. But these saints are looking back, because this is at the time when all things are getting wrapped up at the end and all things are being fulfilled. So we're kind of in this interesting zone right now because we've got, we're between Jesus' first coming and Jesus' second coming. But in all these things, salvation does belong to him. He is the Savior. And... Um, For me, that was kind of like the main aspects I was kind of keen to bring out of that this morning, those four observations. But as I was praying for you guys as a new faith community and all that's about to emerge here, there was one line that really stood out to me in that scripture. And it's the one we just looked at, actually. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And I was looking back when I was visiting with you guys last time, and it was back in September 2019. And at that time, I just really felt like there was a big season 
change coming for you guys. <laughs> and I remember saying, just really think like the tools that you guys are using. It's like you're going to need different tools. There's a season change, and I talked about summer and winter and how you need different stuff with seasonal changes. And I was really aware of that there was something going on with a big shift for you guys. Never in my wildest dreams would it have been, you know, what has unfolded for you guys. And who knows that portable walls suddenly became perhaps a new part of what you needed for the next season ahead. I really like these, by the way. Like, they really stand out when you walk in. Um, they're great. They're probably heavy, but they look amazing. Um, but it's, it's amazing what you got to do in local halls, right? Yeah, to, to make it your own in your own way. But as I was really reflecting on this passage, I really felt like for you guys, God was actually wanting to say to you today, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And at first we can think about that being Jesus, and we want to be really right in the theological context of that passage, and that's what it's about. But I actually feel like what God's saying to you is blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord through that door or through the conversations you're having through the week, or connecting and relating with people, that God is actually sending people to you. But it asks the question, what will you do with that? How will you receive these ones? And he's sending people to bless you. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Ephesians 4, we have this passage where it talks about God giving gifts as men or as people. And it talks about that in a fivefold ministry context, and you may have got into that with teachers, prophets, pastors, apostles. And um, but the the underlying thing is that God gives people as gifts. And you know, looking around this room, there are lots of people here, but God's actually brought people together as gifts to a local church, to a fellowship, to a community, to be with one another. And I really feel like God wants to add more gifts and more people to this community. But it also has a challenge too because it's like how do we welcome in new people and how do we get them involved and will we allow them to be involved even with perhaps they're not too sure about who Jesus even is? Will we allow them to be part of our teams and our groupings? There was a small debate that broke out in our worship team a couple of years ago as to whether you could have non-Christians in a worship team band. And that was kind of an interesting conversation because on one hand you really wanted to include people in, but then on the other hand it was sort of this argument of, well, you know, do they really know God and what's this whole thing coming out of their life in the context of worship and will they have a pride issue going on and all these kind of little wrangles that went on around that. But, you know, there's this really key thing and that is that people have to belong quite often before they'll believe. They don't necessarily believe and then belong. And so it raises these questions, how do we include people? How do we have people belonging and including them into what we're doing? Now my mum, I grew up in a family that you could say isn't necessarily a Christian family. And my sister and I, we got saved in a youth group. And my parents have sort of become, um, how can I put this, they have become warmer to the things of God through the years. I wouldn't necessarily say that they are fired up Christian people or anything like that. My parents attend church very loosely nowadays. It's Christmas, Easter, Mother's Day, Father's Day, when the grandchildren are doing something special perhaps. But I've seen something shift, particularly with my mother. She's begun attending a craft group at um, my sister's local church. And um, it's been cool to see her become part of that community. She's getting to know the people over time. In fact, she's getting to know them pretty well. And so she's really belonging to that group of people, even though for her... 
And I think she does have a faith and she does pray, but you wouldn't exactly say she's a centerpiece to any Sunday service by any stretch. But I've seen this shift that's happened, and it's happened slowly across the years, where as she's become a person that's belonging in that community, she's opening up more and more to what God has for her. So there's something about that, about getting people in and connecting them in and just allowing them to kind of hang at their level, recognizing that it's not always up to us to get people over the line with getting saved. Let's just let the Holy Spirit do what he does best, draw people to Jesus. And you just never know who else he's bringing along their pathway. I've been amazed at the role of Christian neighbors that have impacted my parents over the last 10, 15 years, their voice of encouragement in that space. Just really wanted to share a few other things that were kind of on my heart for you guys, just sort of as a faith community starting up. Um, We know that children are a gift of God. Psalm 127 says, Children are an inheritance from the Lord, offspring a reward from Him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents. In court, Jason, in court. But I just think, imagine a church full of children and the inheritance that that brings. And it makes some interesting questions. You know, how are we about making room for them and making changes for them? Yesterday we had a family celebration at my parents' house. We were celebrating three birthdays, actually. Uh, Mine, Philippa's, and my brother-in-law, Peter's. And so as we all came together as a family... Mum had to make some changes around the house. More chairs came into the lounge. Toys came into the lounge. Ornaments got put up high. Very high. But that was a smart thing because my little Oscar boy, he's, he's a bit of a character at the moment, a bit of a handful. But, you know, you make, you make changes when there are certain things going on. And I think, you know, when we're wanting to connect in and welcoming new people, and even fringe people, people that only pop up a few times in a calendar year, it challenges us, you know, how will we make changes and will we make a way for these ones? <coughs> One of the things we like to do at the upper room is give people a job pretty early on and get them involved, you know, even if it's standing on the door welcoming people. Um, just getting people in the mix, getting them part of the community. And it's amazing the difference that that can make. But, you know, you have those Sundays where occasionally it feels like the church has got a bit clicky. Last Sunday night we did what we call an encounter service at the upper room, which is like a Holy Spirit service, and I was speaking at that. And we had a visiting church with us. There was a group from... Um, a church that was being renovated across town and they sent about 20, 30 of their young people along. And we had some other new people there too and we ran out of chocolate fish. It's our tradition to hand out chocolate fish to newcomers and we ran out of chocolate fish that night, much to the concern of dear Christine actually. And um, we recognised we needed to get some more chocolate fish. But as we were mixing toward the end, I was sort of closing the meeting and I just said this one line, it sounds like a real kind of... Um, not quite a beat up, but you know, it's kind of like one of those things. I just said, hey, upper rumors, don't get clicky. Because we have this tendency often just to keep getting inwardly focused. And I thought, we've got all these new people here. Let's not be clicky. And so I just put that out there. And it was great. People really connected and related well. But often our default position is to kind of turn inward a little bit. So let's just keep making room for people. Let's keep making space in different ways. Another thing that really stands out for me um, Zechariah 4.10 Do not despise these small beginnings for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. 
They're not despised the day of small beginnings. I've seen small beginnings many times through the years. I've seen lots of journeys with churches, small times, hard times. But God does stuff. Last Sunday morning, our 830 service had seven people attend it, plus the staff team. Usually it's about 20.30, we're kind of regrowing that service, but last Sunday we had a lot of regulars away, you know what it's like, and we had seven people in the room. And during the week, we had to identify there was a little bit of a culture that popped up with some of our staffies, and they were kind of going, is it really worth all the work you put in for an 8.30 service? Like we're writing liturgies, we're, there's a whole lot of stuff that goes into that service. And they're saying, is it really worth it for just you know seven people? And we had to kind of push back at some of these guys and say, do you know what, guys? These seven people were the most important seven people in the room on that Sunday for us. For that 50 minutes of that service, they were the guests. They were the heroes. They were some of them irregular people, but they were the ones we really wanted to make a big fuss over. You know, we had one lady there who pops up probably about once every eight weeks in church. And it was so good to see her again and to encourage her and what was going on for her. We had another couple that were there too. And you know, this is going to sound really controversial. I'm being really honest today, if you notice. We're just kind of letting it all hang out a bit here. But you know how you have that really awkward, difficult old couple, and they're all a bit funny? Oh, no, none of you guys are like that, surely, surely. But you know, we, we had this couple that came along, and they've fallen in and out of favor occasionally with the church. Um, they left us, and then they came back six months later, um, a while back. And they were just, they're slightly strange people. But they were there, and we had these conversations, and they were laughing, and they, I just thought it's so good, you know, just to encourage people, for people to laugh, to, for people to feel part of what's going on. And as I was looking around the room, and well, we didn't have many people there, I was just aware, you know, God was doing stuff. Don't despise the days of small beginnings. It's amazing what God is doing in those times, one-on-one, heart-by-heart. He's changing lives, encouraging people, healing people bringing hope and joy and comfort to situations. And sometimes we can often be really aware of the numbers and who's in the room. It really doesn't matter. You know, the longer I've been doing this, the, real, the more I just don't care about how many people are in the room. I really don't. Um, because that's not, what, that's not where things are at. It's where the Spirit of God is at and what He's doing. That's what really matters and us glorifying Him and honoring Him. You know, wherever there is life, there will be growth wherever there is life. So let's focus on the areas where there is life and nurture that growth. You know, church is not a series of meetings, but it's a community. And you know, some churches, and I've been guilty of this in the past too, being involved in a church that was running so many meetings, our people were worn out and they actually never had time to make meaningful relationships outside the church. How can you even begin to speak words of life and hope into a non-Christian circle and be a witness in that space if your life is so packed with the activities of a local church. So you've got to, like as a leadership, you've got to get smart in terms of working out that right balance between church and all the great things church does and being gateways and inroads into opportunities for people to come to Christ. But alongside that, providing space for people to actually interact with friends and family and neighbors and community to actually have an influence. 
And that can sometimes be a bit of a fine line. But I think particularly perhaps Pentecostal churches or bigger churches are guilty of just loading up the calendars. We actually need to give people space and grace because the world's got faster and more intense and these lockdowns have made it even more difficult again. And so if we can breathe a bit more and kind of be a little bit more strategic in our workings, that can super, that can really help us, right? But there's stuff going on with community. One conversation at a time, one meeting at a time, one gathering at a time, and God is at work. A friend of mine um, who pastors a a very large church down in Christchurch posted something about community that really caught my attention last week, and so I wanted to share it with you guys because this really resonated for me. It says, Stay with your church, especially with your closest siblings in the family of God. Live in a thick web of interdependent relationships. Quietly defy the individualism that is wreaking havoc across the West. Surrender your autonomy to love. Place yourself in the constraint of community, for it is there we are set free. Give up your preferences for the sake of others. Enroll in the school of agape, of love. If you fail a course, throw yourself upon God's mercy. Come back at the table, eat the bread, drink the wine, ingest the forgiveness and the love of God. Repent, repent again and again. Risk vulnerability, we will get hurt and we will hurt others in return. That's part of facing grace. Our greatest wounds come from the relationships we have, but so also comes the greatest and deepest healing. The risk is worth it. The risk is worth it. You know, staying in community, building, encouraging, nurturing is so important. There's a shift going back to community, people. Not meetings, community. Let's be a people of community, not just the people having meetings for meeting's sake or feeling the need to gather for a certain thing. Let's look at genuine community. Now, many years ago, um, I just wanted to share a little bit of a journey that I had. So, in 1997, gosh, it's a long time ago, I was part of a cooperating parish church. It was at Bucklands Beach. It was Bucklands Beach Cooperating Parish. It was an Anglican, Methodist, and Presbyterian church. We used to say we were Anglo-Methbyterians. And um, something happened in that church through the 90s, um, There was a youth group. I was part of that youth group. A lot of kids got saved. It became a youth church. And God was moving by His Spirit. There was all sorts of things happening at that time right around the globe. God was moving by His Spirit. And we felt like God was beginning to establish some things in that church. But there was actually a divide that emerged in that church. There were people in that church of the morning congregation that held to a constitution that said, actually, we need to get a new pastor. The last one's in been for so long. It was part of the cooperating parish model that you have. A, a vicar as an Anglican, you have a, a Presbyterian for a season as a minister and a Methodist. And so you there was a group of people that really wanted the constitution to be honoured with the rotation, but we really felt like God had started a work with the current leadership and the current pastor that needed to continue. And the Spirit of God was sort of this became almost like a contention issue too in the church. And what happened was there was a group of about 70 or 80 of us, pretty young people, few families, not many families, few families, one or two gray-haired old people. We started a new church called The River. And you guys may have heard of The River Christian Church in Pakaranga. We started in 1998. I was there for 17 years. 
two years voluntary on the staff team, working three days a week, and then I became full-time there. And we started off in a school hall, Pigeon Mountain Primary it was. We were there for three months, and we had to do this. We had to bring all the chairs in and out on a trailer. The drum kit came in and out of someone's Honda Odyssey, and it was, it was hard work, right? It was hard, hard work. Three months of that. We outgrew that little school hall, and then we had to shift the farm cove intermediate, and we were there for 18 months, and we did the hard yards there again. They had a bit more storage there, so we'd have to worry about chairs. We'd have to bring the chairs in and out on the trailer that time, but still the drum kit came and went out the back of that Honda, and it was hard work, but God was doing stuff, and the church was growing, and things were shifting and shaking. Then we leased the old Three Guys supermarket building in Howick. Some of you might remember the Three Guys supermarket. We used to think it was funny. It was three guys. You know, it was like Jesus, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, Three Guys Church. And um, in the midst of that time, we we did a bit of work inside that supermarket. I remember we concreted in all the aisles because it had these big dips in between the aisles. And um, Progressive, who we leased it off, reminded us. They said, hey, we're actually going to renovate that whole site and they did it is literally the, the countdown that's there now today and they've they totally revamped it the concrete floor is actually still the same one but they went down a bit and up a bit and changed the whole thing so we kind of had this whole thing of right we've got to get out and so we were three and a half, three years young by that stage and we really felt like God was speaking about buying a building now a church that's only been going for three years generally does not go out and buy a building but we didn't have any money. <laughs> we had no money. And, uh, in fact, I'll tell you what, our staff meetings used to be a bit like this, all right? We'd come in on a Tuesday because Tuesday is just like the time that works with staff meetings. And we'd say, hey, staff, some of you are meant to be getting paid on Thursday. I want to tell you that in the bank account right now, we have no money to pay you guys at all. We have no money to pay you on Thursday. So staff team, let's pray that money would come in tomorrow so we could pay you on Thursday (laughs) and you know what we did and you know what money came in and you know what we paid our staff and I can't tell you how many prayer meetings I've attended in the early years of that church (laughs) where we would say hey staff um, we're not sure if we're going to pay you this week we really hope we are we just need to pray but you know what God was faithful and the money came in that's cutting-edge ministry, right? That's really putting it out. Um, so how do you buy a building when you don't have any money? So we found this amazing building. Some of you may have visited the, the, the building at Ben Lomond Crescent. Um, the leader at the time of the church and I negotiated that one. Um, it was an amazing opportunity. And so... It was on the market back then. Now, this is going back year 2000, right, 2001. The building was on the market for $1.8 million. That's a lot of money even today to some degree. But to put it in context, the average house in Howick was about $250,000. Probably the average house in Howick was probably more like about $1.8 million. Amazing what inflation does, right? But I remember we went into this meeting and we just thought, what are the possibilities now, just to back up on that a little bit, we saw the, the building, we thought it was amazing, but there were two other groups chasing it. There was a business group, I think it was a boat builder further up the road, and there was another church group that were chasing that building. <laughs> and so you're thinking, well, who's, who's meant to have that building, God? And one of them's a church, and we don't want to compete with another local church. 
So we stood back and we said to the agent, let's just see what happens. And we just prayed, you know, that really simple prayer, God, if that building's meant to be ours, will you just make a way for us? Will you clear the other two deals out the way? And in the meantime, we began speaking about faith in the church. That was a whole year's thing. We spoke about faith and God moving through faith and healing and stuff like that. And we were just kind of reaching out, just going, God, what are the possibilities with this? We had these funny little things happen. One Sunday we had a um, an Israeli guy preaching in the church from Israel and a, a ministry of the Jewish people and what was going on there. And we did something a bit crazy. We took up an offering for that and we also gave out everything that went on the basket that Sunday. We blessed Israel and gave that money away in that context. It was just one of the things we felt to do as a leadership at that time. It was in the middle of that year. But then we went on and we began doing vision offerings to kind of get some money, get a deposit together. And I couldn't believe it. We managed to raise $100,000 in addition to the normal running of the church through a number of people who gave generously. Some gave a couple of grand, some gave... Yeah, one or two that gave big amounts, like 10000 or 20000 Most of the kids gave money, $100 here, $300 there. It all added up. $100,000 came in. It was amazing. So we went into this. Oh, before we get to that. So we're still two deals on the table. We're in a prayer meeting one day, staff team Tuesday morning. Good news, we weren't praying about the staff salaries that week. Instead, we were praying about the building. And we said, God, if that's meant to be our building, will you knock the deals off the table? My phone rang. It was the real estate agent. He said to me, oh, I want to let you know the other church group has pulled out. We went, oh, okay, that's interesting. Are you guys still interested in this building? We said, we're really interested, but what's happening with the other deal? They said, well, we don't know about that. They're, they're talking, but nothing's come about. So I said, okay, that's all right. Let's, we'll just keep going. So we prayed. Well, God, is that a sign? Like one of those deals is gone. What's happened there? So we, a few more weeks went by, kept praying, all those kind of things. Then the real estate agent rang us and he said, hey, the building has been sold to the other people. They've done a deal and it's going unconditional on this date. Here's where it got weird. None of us believed it. We were just like, okay, that's nice. We didn't talk about the building. We still preached a lot about faith, but none of us believed that actually something was going to happen with that other party. The agent rang us back about six, eight weeks later, and he said the building went unconditional, but the party hasn't paid the deposit. It hasn't settled. They could sue the other party for default of the agreement. But are you guys interested at all? And we thought, hi, it kind of feels like God's at work here. So we set up a meeting with the people who owned the building. And um, I remember sitting in their reception. They were business people. They owned another building in East Tamaki. They were an innovative family business that were doing crazy stuff with plastics and refrigeration and stuff. Anyway, I remember sitting there in reception and once again, my phone rings, it's a real estate agent, and he says, oh, look, I've double booked myself. I can't come to the meeting. Are you guys just happy to talk amongst yourselves and maybe work out a deal? So that's crazy, right? So we went to this boardroom, and the people that owned the building were, were Jewish people. They were Israeli people. And we were like, wow, I wonder if that's some connected to that offering thing we did all that time back earlier in the year. So we sat in this room, and we began to broker a deal. And I remember the leader of the church, a guy called Kristen, he and I talked back and forth, and they would talk back and forth. They'd exit the room and leave us to it and in and out. Anyway, we walked out of there with this crazy deal, and the crazy deal was we bought the building for a million dollars, 
$100,000 deposit down, 900k debt. They would be our bank. Don't need a bank. They will be our bank. And we agreed an interest rate and a system of repayments. And we walked out of there and we had a deal. And we took it back to the church leadership and they were like, wow, we just think God is moving. Now for us, we were, it was like a, the interest on it was about 7% back then, not like today, right? Things have kept chopping and changing. So we worked out, we had to pay, we were leasing a supermarket at two grand a month and our interest on that was $6,000 a month. We were paying $200 a day in interest to service that loan. It's big money, right? It's not like, well, it's particularly back then when house prices were, you know, this is going about 20 years ago now. But we just believe God went in. So we took possession of that building and did the deal. It was like the crazy deal. It was, and people kept saying, hey, there's money in this building. We don't know how we could see money in the building. We found that people that had been in the building had gone bust, the people that had leased the building. We found all this old office furniture we used. There were boxes and boxes of envelopes. It cost us, saved us a fortune in postage. We were doing a lot of mail outs back then. God just did a whole lot of stuff miraculously in this time and in this space. People were like, wow, how did those guys get that building? And our congregation grew. <laughs> we had all these people that appeared out of nowhere. Our giving went up. We didn't blink in terms of our finances. Our, our giving lifted as our commitment going out lifted. God was at work. Now, I want to tell you that story to say those were crazy years. I had two crazy years of school halls, yeah, heavy lifting, early morning work, right? It's all go. We had those. We had about two years-ish, 18 months-ish in the supermarket, and that was hard yakka too. At least you had a bit more of a base, but it was there were other things that were going on. And so I just wanted to share that with you guys to encourage you, but also to mention just a few things that were really strategic that I learned through that time, and I just wanted to bounce these out just as we close. Um, so these early years, particularly on leaders, particularly on staff, I often found God did the biggest work in the staff team and in the leadership and the eldership and the key people carrying the He worked stuff in their hearts. And I just want to say, these were things I, I wanted to say to people going here again. Pray for these ones. It's tough. It's hard. It's difficult. Pray for these guys. Encourage them. Secondly, tell them that you're committed to what is going on. Say, hey, look, we're with you. For the next two years, we are with you. We will support you. We're not going anywhere. We will be with you. We will give. We will support. We will keep serving. Vote with your bank account. Give money. Give finance. Support the vision of the house. And in doing so, you're actually giving to God. You're not giving to the local church. You are. But more importantly, you're giving to God, supplying your needs so that in turn he too can keep working in your heart and life. Take the financial pressure off your leadership. They aren't getting rich on this. You know? Give. Next point, give grace to your leaders. Do you know leaders make all their mistakes publicly? <laughs> Look at politicians. They make all their mistakes publicly. Great church pastors and leaders, they make all their mistakes publicly as well. Give them grace. I've often been like the 2IC guy, and I've, seen, I've served many great leaders. And you just see them go through the ringer and the criticism, the critique, and the lessons learned along the way. Give them grace. Give them a break. Be kind. Stay encouraged. They often know when they've made a mess. You don't need to point it out. Number five, um, find one area of key area of church life that you can take a burden off a leader. 
We had one family that did communion. They took care of communion. Every time, we'd send them a schedule at the start of the year saying, these are the Sundays we're doing communion. This family would set up communion, get the bread, the wine, set it up, they'd take it away, clean it all up, pack it away, bring it back for the Sunday we're doing communion. That shifted a burden. And this family did it faithfully. Well, they're probably still going. They did it 17 years straight when I was there, and they were probably still going when I left. That's commitment, right? That was one little thing they did. We had another guy. He was, he was like reserve one. Any roster that's fallen apart, here's your phone call. He will be kids ministry. He'll be an usher. He'll be prayer ministry. He'll do anything except the worship team because it was not quite his forte. But he was reserve number one. He would fill a gap. Be reserve one or even reserve two or three. Do you know how key that is, what pressure that takes off leaders? Huge, huge stuff. So many areas to own and be a part of. Morning tea, kids' ministries, so many areas. Many hands make like work. And the last point is, you know, just keep broadcasting the victories. Encourage one another because God is doing amazing, cool stuff. Keep encouraging one another. So I just want to close... um, and bringing back to the message, really. So you've got to watch out for the donkeys and the donkey riders. So in other words, you know, don't be a stubborn donkey. Instead, watch out for the humble donkey riders that God has sent you. Remember that word, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus had humbled himself. He came down that road on a donkey. If a person comes into a church service or a meeting, they've humbled themselves to come. They're coming with their time to give. They're risking rejection, embarrassment, fear. They're coming on your terms, your place, your time, your way of doing things. Be kind to them. And here's the thing. You may find that God is speaking to you through them. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I spoke to a girl, I don't know, six, uh, 20 years old, I'm guessing, after our night service last Sunday night. She was part of the visiting church crowd. She told me about her 16-year-old brother who has Down syndrome. Our little Oscar has Down syndrome, our four-year-old guy. She told me what it was like with him starting school and those early years and the things that they had journeyed and learnt. Do you know how encouraging that was for me to hear? Do you know how blessed I felt by that? If I hadn't gone up to her and spoken to her, I would have lost that. But she's so ministered to me. Like For me, that was such a highlight of that service. God did some amazing stuff in the ministry, but my personal highlight was the conversation I had with this girl. Kindness leapt off her life. I've never met her before, but there was something about her. She carried the kindness of God as she spoke to me. And do you know what she said to me as, as we were finishing off? She said, I'll pray for you guys. I'll pray for Oscar this week. Do you know what that meant to me as a parent? So much. But I would never have had that encounter if I hadn't had that conversation. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The people, they laid down their cloaks in humility. They focused only on Jesus, the one who came. Can we lay down our conversations with others, our past opinions of the people walking in the door that maybe we've only seen a few times? Can we love people and discover a need that they might have and see if we can meet it, even just through prayer? Here's a key. Authenticity and love authenticity and love they are the currency of church growth those two things they trump everything else that's going on Jesus saw humility of the people and the palm branches of faith they laid down recognizing his victory with the newcomers and fringe attenders will they see your humility will they see 
your life pointing the way to the cross and to the victory of the cross. So let's be a people of faith and humility.